right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the No Laying Up Podcast. Sally here, interview coming shortly with Will Zalatoris. Super quick drop to say this interview is brought to you by our friends at Titleist and FootJoy. Let's get into it with Will. So with everything going on in Dallas this week, I was like, this is either the best possible time to do an interview or maybe the worst possible time. Which which one is it? Absolutely the best. I've been <laughs> sitting at home for two days looking out this white stuff on the ground. It's been driving me nuts, so... Kind of nice to put the clubs up for a little bit, but after having four months off, I don't think I need any more off time. What are the feels like? What's it like, you know, taking four months off of golf? You were playing some incredible golf, and we'll, we'll rewind to that. But what's it What's it like getting back into it? How are the feels after a break like that? Yeah, it's just super rusty. The easy stuff, like, you know, playing in, I guess you would say, playing at Kapalua, playing at Palm Springs when it's – you know, like playing in a dome or it's a birdie fest, you know, you can get away with it. But, you know, like I was laughing, trying to hit a couple of like punch seven irons at Torrey on Thursday. And granted it was blowing 30, but I was like missing my yardages by like 20 yards. And I was like, yeah, I'm not used to this. This is, this is definitely different, but actually it feels good. It's, it's just, you know, it's a couple small changes. It's just I, like, I can do this stuff when you know like like i said in the easy conditions it's just getting it back to where it's like okay ball below your feet wind off your left left pin it's like can i really trust aiming left of this pin so it's just it's little things like that but so far you know no pain in the back it's like my first couple of weeks were a little different too just with the you know like i normally only play like nine and nine and i played like 18 a day so it was like i get by get to the end of the week and i'm like man i'm exhausted i'm like you idiot. you play golf for a living you're talk, talking about being tired on sunday but when your body falls out of the rhythm that you're used to i could easily see that so if you're talking about getting your feels back getting back to a back left pin with a punch shot in in competition is that something you can get back to through pounding range balls or is it you got to play a ton of golf at home, or is it only through tournaments? What is your path back to, to feeling like you have all those feels back? Yeah, a ton of playing. I think when I get back going, once we get rid of all the snow here, I think I'm probably going to end up playing 18 a day, you know, doing – I'll probably try to get in some money games with the boys that are at home. It's funny because it's like I'd have – days where it's like oh shoot a nonchalant 69 or whatever then there's days where it's like oh man 65 i got it and then all of a sudden i show up the next day and hit like three fairways eight grains and you're like okay yeah we still got some work to do there's just layers to it it seems like right you know you could feel like all right i recaptured it but then you you know work backwards and it's like do you have the 71 yard shot right now do you have that one do you have all the exact ones you need i can't imagine so you, I believe you spent some time out at TPI working on, on your body. I want to kind of unpack what, what happened with your back. Do you have to change anything with your swing, with your body, with your equipment or anything as a result of this injury? I wonder if you can walk us through that process. Yeah, so I went to go see Greg Rose. Greg is absolutely amazing. He came in to Dallas in, I think, early November when I was still not even clear to – even putt or anything and he basically put me through a whole bunch of tests to try to figure out okay obviously like people when they have back issues it's not because of their back it's because of something else and so like his description to me once was 
adductor problems are from your hips, back problems, or well, I can't, you guys so damn smart, but it was, it was something ridiculous where it's like adductor pain is a root cause from your hip, back pain is a cause from your hip. And then it's like, if it's none of the above, then it has to do something with your, with your thoracic spine. And so mine was a little bit more complicated in the fact that I, I'm a little bit like JT where I push, push off my right side, my right foot comes up and I'm very dynamic when I get to the ball. But my issue was that my weight would actually go to the outside of my right foot when I get to the top of my backswing, then it would center on the way down and then I would push weight off my right foot. Even though my right foot was high, I would still have weight on my right side. And so what happens is, is you have the side bend and then you have a late push. So now my right hip gets high with side bend. And as he said, well, no doubt, no wonder I have back problems. But I thought it was funny that he's basically telling me that the root cause of my back issues was because of an immobile right ankle and a tight thoracic spine. So we had to do a bunch of uh, Eldoa work, which is this kind of like woo wooey, like restract distraction type thing where it's like you basically are instead of we're always taught to breathe out of your belly, breathe out of your chest so that it expands your thoracic spine. That's the only way how you can basically stretch your rib cage is doing stretches with breathing. Um, the ankle stuff, you, you know, you can take care of yourself and, and do a bunch of mobility work on that. But basically the way how like to put all that together, I, what I've started to do is actually take, kick my left hip up high at a dress, but then shift my weight back to my right side so that my left hip stays higher. And then I'm basically able to rotate around my spine better. Um, as opposed to, you know, kind of thrusting at the ball and having a high right hip. So that's kind of like the most like in-depth I could probably give you without boring you to tears with all the 3D stuff and everything. But no, I want to know about that. That the, the 3D stuff is, I mean, because this is this is an, you know an injury that's leading to. It sounds like a swing change, right? Would you describe it as that as well? Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like. I would always put the ball in the back of my stance. I'd open up and I would jam into it. The problem with that is when you have those issues with your back, that's just going to create that right hip to get higher. And so I've had to play the ball a little bit farther forward at the start. I went to a little bit of a shorter driver, but it's really all at, at address. Like it kind of takes care of everything in the swing, but it's kind of like, you know, you get a day where it's like ball in 30 and I'm used to having the ball in the back of my stance and hammering a cut. And it's like, well, don't put it back there quite yet just because we don't want to, you know, there's no reason to chance it in January. Like, you know, and so like I'm playing a 44 and three quarter inch driver right now. I've actually drove it fine. I've weirdly, I made a career out of the right rough so far on the PGA Tour and weirdly I'm missing them left. So if anything, I was like, well, this is different, but it's been a work in progress. I mean, it, it feels good. It's just taken a little bit of time, but again, you know, coming back after four months and playing three weeks, I'm pleased with where I'm at physically performance wise. Obviously I got a long way to go. And you changed golf balls in this process too. Did I understand that right? Yeah. So basically, you know, I was playing the 2019 V uh, or pro V one. I just switched to the 2023 pro V one X, which a lot of guys who have been playing the 2019 pro V one switch into the 23 X it's a lot better through the wind for me. I've picked up like a couple of yards off the tee compared to my old ball, but you know, ball's the engine of, of everything we do. So if I'm going to change the golf ball, then you need to change everything. But the difference was for me is everything stayed the exact same. It was just a little bit better through the wind. 
a more operator error the last couple of weeks for me than anything, playing through the wind and, and missing my shots by 20 yards. But being able to see a golf ball fight the wind as well as it did is a huge bonus, especially once we get into you know, tournaments like Bay Hill where, you know, one yard on the green could be on the back edge and a yard short could be plugged in a bunker type thing. Same thing with any U.S. Open where you get on firm greens. Um, being able to fight the winds is is huge. So that was a really easy fix. You know, I, I got asked a lot when I switched, you know, like, hey, what was the process like? And I basically told him, well, 40 came out with golf balls like once a month and said, hey, try this. And I'd say, oh, too hard, you know, not enough spin. And then all of a sudden he brought this golf ball out and I'm like, I have no complaints. This is perfect. It was like, I wish I had some super sexy process to tell you that, you know, we were on the range with track band and this and that, but I'm like, if it passes the eye test, I mean, then, then that's 95% of it. You know, if it's downwind and the ball is not going to sail, you know, kind of stay up through the wind and sail, or if it's into the wind, it, you know, gets knocked through or gets killed by the wind, you know, okay, well, there's your two tests. So really downwind and into the wind were the two things I looked for and into the wind. It was like probably, like a five or six yard difference consistently fighting it through the wind with like a six or five iron. That makes all the, I mean, you don't need to even say that part out loud. That makes all the difference in the world, especially when it comes to, it seems like a huge thing is trust in competition too. Like when you are presented with a, you're presented with a different scenario every single time you play a certain hole, right? And you can practice that on the range a million times, but until you have the trust of like, this is how far I know in competition, my golf ball is going to go and how much it's going to fade, how much it's going to draw just seems like something that there's, I don't know how you simulate that at home. Right. Yeah. I mean, farther. Yeah. That's what I keep telling people is farther's not better. I mean, that's farther's better to an extent, but if I'm hitting an iron in my hand, if I need it to go 172, it needs to go 172. Because if I hit it 168, it could be plugged in the bunker and I lose a golf tournament. Yeah. I, I really don't – I don't know you at all, so this is – I'm projecting this, but you don't seem overly driven by money. But, damn, that was a tough time for that injury. That was a really tough time <laughs> for that injury to have hit. Yeah. You know, it's, <laughs> it, it's kind of funny because, I mean, I guess technically this is my – third year on tour kind of but i've never played east lake so <laughs> like i just i always kind of find that funny that like i never played it in college i was if i had had fedex cup or had been when the fedex cup standings i think i would have been 24th going into the playoffs and then obviously what happened last year so i find it very funny but you know it, it it's like i'm glad it happened then because yeah like i've been pretty vocal about winning or my career goal has been to win a major and as nice as it would have been to go after, you know, $18 million and then, you know, or whatever it was for the FedEx cup plus what, whatever we were playing for in Europe, it's just kind of not my end goal. And trust me, I'm the ultimate capitalist there is, you know, (laughs) that doesn't, that doesn't mean I'm, you know, like, Hey, I'm going to go play for less money type thing. It's just not, it's never, I think growing up with the FedEx Cup starting in 2007, like we watched Tiger win everything prior to that. And I think my goal has to been, has always been to win one of those four tournaments. And so I think the younger guys have grown up with it a lot more than I have. But, you know, the at the end of the day, like those four tournaments, I don't care what we're playing for. Like, that's just been my career goal. Like, yes, I, I trust me. Like I said, I'm an ultimate capitalist. I want to make as much money as possible. And yeah, it sucks missing those events, but the money part will take care of itself. Like if would I rather 
come home with $15 million or whatever it is, or I'd rather come home with a major. Well, for me, it's a major. And that's just my personal preference. Makes all this. I mean, yeah, if, uh, if, if money was a, a bigger driver, you could have made a very different decision over the last couple of years that, uh, some people have chosen to make, but we'll, we'll save that for later. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> so it's interesting to me, well, that being your main goal, you're vocal about that. And when I look at your career and when major championships roll around, you jump off the page, like your performance in the biggest events, the events that people want to peak for the most, you have performed your best. What do you, what do you owe that to? I think it's a, I mean, I think it's kind of multifaceted. I think the first part is I, I definitely have more of a laissez-faire attitude when I get out there and play those tournaments, just because making bogeys is not a bad thing in some of them. For me, like I've always played terrible at the tournaments where you've got to shoot 27, 28 under par, like me going and playing in Bay Hill or Riviera where like year in, you're out, the courses are harder. I mean, it allows my ball striking to do the talking. And then that, I think that's why I've played well at Augusta is the fact that my two best stats on tour are lag putting and iron play. So you throw that in there and it's like, I'm going to give myself more 20 to 25 footers than everybody out there. And I'm the fact I'm getting them more around the hole and, you know, playing big high lines, it gives them a better chance of going in. So I think it's, it's part of that. And then, I think it's a little bit of the art of just playing like us opens to me are just fun. Like that it's a psychotic attitude to say that, but it's like going out and trying to basically, if you get out of position, it's like, okay, what's my best chance to make bogey from here. And then really your best chance of making bogey is probably your best chance of making par too, which sometimes you just have to accept that, you know, like at Wingfoot, 500 yard par four with, five inch rough all around you like okay i need to lay this up to 100 yards so it's 18 feet and if i make par i make par like that's just basically how those events operate and so i think being able to go out and you know ball strike my way around and let the putter get hot whenever it gets hot um you know like i said i i, I if you really think about it you know you play in say if you have a 10-year career and you're lucky to play in all four majors it's not many chances you know and so I think for me, just going out and, and really, like, it, it's a weird freedom for me to play in those events. And it's actually something I talked about with Greg Rose, where he just said, like, when you go play in regular events, you need to start treating them like majors. Because when you play in those regular events, you, you're always working on something, you're trying something new, you're doing, you know, doing this, doing that. And in reality, when you get to majors, you're like, okay, I'm going to go play nine holes, maybe go roll a few putts and get out of here. Cause if I'm not ready, I'm not ready. And he's like, you need to kind of start doing that a little bit more, you know, like, Hey, when you go play the Byron Nelson and you make a bogey on two, you feel like you made triple because you're looking at the lead and it's like nine under par, but it's like, keep doing what you're doing and keep working on what you're working on. And eventually that's 62 or three will pop out. Like don't force it to happen. And it opens, it's more of like, Hey, if you get your chances, you get your chances. Like par is a good score. And so I think, having a little bit of the that freedom of if I screw up type thing in an open, like it's okay. Like good shots are not going to get rewarded. And so um, I think it's a little bit of an attitude change, but it's also, you know, like I said, I think it's just the, the mental freedom of like, hey, I want to do this my whole life. Like here's your chance. So what is it like then, you know, uh, let's just go to the, really your first big run in a major, 2021 Masters. Really easy to sit here and say, yeah, here's your chance. Go have fun. What's Saturday night like? What's Sunday morning like as you're getting ready to go tee off to go compete in a Masters? And what's it like to stand over golf shots on that day? 
I always tell people that Friday night into Saturday morning was probably of the four days was probably the day I thought I was going to shit myself because <laughs> I basically, because I'm playing in the final group of a major. I've never been in a final group of any PGA tour event. <laughs> and, and so I'm playing with Justin Rose, um, in the final group, put it in the bunker off the tee on one, hit the lip out of the bunker, then make up and down from like 80 yards. And I'm like, okay, we're, we're good. And, and I think that gave me the freedom for Sunday because um, I think I was in the third, yeah, third to last group. And so I think after being in the final group and being, you know, around, you know, kind of being center stage for that long, kind of freed me up going into Sunday. You know, I opened up Sunday birdie birdie on one and two, and it was like, okay, you know, here you go. This is it. Like, there's, you know, you got nothing to lose here. Getting ready for Saturday was probably the one that got me. I, I always laugh at this because I actually sleep worse on Sunday nights than I do on Saturdays, which like I'll sleep like a baby on Saturday night, you know, if I'm around the lead or whatever major weekend. But then it's like Sunday and coming down, not realizing the adrenaline and everything. Like I'm always up to like four or five in the morning, you know, going into Monday morning. And it's just kind of like, I think that's probably part of the reason why weeks after majors have just been useless is it just, it takes me, you know, being in contention, it feels like you're playing two weeks in one, but then taking two or three days to kind of like come down from it is probably the reason why I've just been absolutely useless at Colonial and, and Heritage, but we're, uh, we're working on it. We're getting there. A quick break here to check in with our friends at Gooder. You have heard me say some amazing things about these sunglasses. I cannot tell you how many times I've wasted $180 on a pair of sunglasses, lost them or broke them within the first month. Gooder addresses all this. They are incredible polarized sunglasses. They're only like $25. They got so many great styles. I just go on their website. I buy four or five of them at a time. I leave them in random places all over the house. I leave a pair in my car, a pair in my golf bag, a pair in my travel suitcase, backpack, whatever you want to call it. They're lightweight. They're durable. They're so crazy affordable. I have the Valhalla style. I have the Whiskey Shots with Satan. I have the Ginger Soul. So many great styles to choose from. I'm seeing them out everywhere now. I'm seeing so many people wear them. And again, I've never seen a product with the quality of the product has so greatly outpaced the price that I struggle to comprehend it. I cannot emphasize enough how good these sunglasses are and how crazy affordable they are. Go to gooder.com, G-O-O-D-R.com and use code NOLANGUP for 15% off. Again, gooder.com, G-O-O-D-R.com, code NOLANGUP for 15% off. Already incredibly cheap sunglasses. You don't even need to use the code to get a great deal on these sunglasses. Gooder.com, we thank them for their sponsorship. Let's go back to Will Zalatoris. So you finish... Second by one at the Masters, you lose in a playoff at the PGA Championship. You finish second by one at the U.S. Open. Do any of those keep you up at night? Or what, what's your? How do you balance the tremendous achievement and the close call with the heartbreak of being so close? The Masters was the week that kind of changed my career slash changed my life, I guess. And you know, going from like, oh, this kid who's coming out of uh, corn fairy, like, Oh, he had a great week. Congratulations. And then coming back the next year and losing in a playoff was affirmation to me that, Hey, you're going to get one someday. And then I still don't know how that pot on 18 didn't go in on. <laughs> I, I can't wait to go back someday and just be like, how the hell does that ball not break? And I, Zinger said it too. It's like, everybody's missed that pot high. I thought I made it, but I, I think the one that, 
the one that ate at me the most was definitely the PGA, just given the fact that I played like crap on Saturday and fought pretty hard on Sunday. And I made a couple of decisions, 2020 hindsight that I probably shouldn't have done, but that is what it is. That's part of, you know, it, you can always look back at, you know, even at tournaments you won, you're like, oh, I could have done this and I could have get, saved me a shot or two. But I think just being that close um, was the one that kind of ate at me the most for sure. But the U.S. Open, I think, like, Matt just went out and won that one. Like, he he played so good. The, the par he made on 18 was a joke. Like, that one was probably the easiest to swallow out of the three. You know, the Masters, like, even though I, you know, lose by one, I kind of was way out of it. And then those they made a mess of it coming in. Hideki, I think Hideki maybe like bogey two out of his last three or something like that. So I was kind of always on the fringe of being in contention on Sunday. But yeah, the PGA is definitely the one that, that eats me the most because I love that golf course. I played great. I just really had a bad Saturday and played fine on Sunday. It just, you know, just needed one or two shots. And that's just the beauty of this game is um, I don't regret any of the decisions that I'm that I made. It's just more of like, going back and and thinking through it's like well probably should have done that differently but in the moment i thought i made the right decision there's nothing i can do well and that's the the thing i when i look at all three of those results too i there's no moment you point at of like ah you blew it there or huge mistake that you know especially with when it's not like when the pressure got highest that you backed down from the challenge or didn't didn't uh didn't hit the shots you want to right i mean everyone saw that putt at brookline that was as good of a putt as you could have hit the shock on your face was pretty evident like it just that's that's why I was just curious to to kind of unpack that with you of this uh, tremendous success you've had with the close call. How do you balance the the heartbreak and the and the achievement? But it seems like you're in a good place with it. Yeah, well, it's super funny too, and trust me, there's no excuse for hitting a five iron almost off the property on the par three, fifth or sixth or whatever hole it is at at uh, Southern Hills. But a buddy of mine went up and played, and for some reason that bush of where I hit it on the property line is gone. There's one hole in the fence line now, and it's of the one bush that I hit it in. And I'm like, what the hell? Like, I will give you back my second place check to give me, not make me take a, a drop. Like, I will pay for that bush. Whatever I made, you can have that money. If I can go back and do that again. But either way, that's still a horrible golf shot. This is the the the, uh, the top billing of this episode, I would say. that What I'm most looking forward to talking with you about, people are most looking forward to, to hearing the answer on. I need an explanation in your words of your close range putting stroke. I need, I, need, I need to understand the strategy, how we got to this, and uh, and and yeah, how do we get here? No, I just I whenever Josh and I have tried to work on too much, I've always had a habit of taking it inside, and so playing in the wind that day and trying to fight my fighting myself a little bit. You know, it is what it is. Like, here's the thing, though, is like statistically, like, yeah, I need to be better from four to eight, nine feet. I'm not winning any beauty contests, but like 35th best butter on tour. So this year. So like, There's I don't a lot to talk really about like, here. Yes. <laughs> yeah. No. So I mean, like, yeah. Do I need to get better? Is it sexy? Yeah, I need to get better. And yeah, it's it's not the best. But like when when it feels good, I will take on anybody in the world, no matter what range doesn't matter. But, you know, I'm not afraid to go out and hit a few putts off the toe every now and again and, and be a little uncommitted to what I'm doing. But, you know, then again, it's like, I have one out here. I do have a lot of top tens. Like statistically, it's not as bad as it actually looks, which I know is hard to believe for some people. And I know I love getting ripped for it, but 
at the end of the day, like, like I said, I'll take anybody on any time. Like I need to get better. I need to get better of, you know, taking them more outside. And I've been, I've just done this for the last, I don't know, forever, it seems like. But the beauty of it is, is it's like, if that's the one thing people are going to ridicule me for is essentially, you know, maybe missing a free throw every now and again. I'm happy with where I'm at. So I'll keep working on what I'm doing. See, I, I what I've taken it as is that you, uh, like Stuart Sink talked about this too. He, he started doing like a little pump fake in from close range. And to me, it looks like it's almost intentional that you're the loop you do on short putts. Now it looks very different than your eight foot putting stroke. Right. So yeah, but it, it, it seems to work for you relatively. I don't have the numbers in front of me as to what you, if you have improved, but it's, it is not pretty, but it gets the club moving and it is effective. Like I, I feel like you're managing that. Yeah. I, I just, like I said, I've got to be better about it. There's no excuses for it whatsoever. I, I, Trust me, whenever I've putted my best, I've done a much better job of not taking it inside, and I'll keep working on it. But like I said, if that's the one thing that people are going to have to bash me for, like, what are you going to bash me for when, you know, once I, you know, whenever I'm showing up at majors and I keep making putts and I keep being in contention, like, look, I know I got to get better with it. I will get better with it. I think coming back off of injury and, and not really feeling that comfortable with any aspect of my game like I'm gonna do some pretty stupid shit while I'm out there and it is what it is but you know like I haven't missed a I'm probably you know for saying this is like the announcer's curse I've missed a three-footer in two years on tour so like so like it, am I winning any beauty contest hell no but I will keep trying to get better with it and obviously there's been a lot of been some putting the last few days since I've been at home sitting inside with uh, some snow on the ground from where I'm coming from, it's not bashing. It is it is incredibly fascinating to watch a dude hit the ball like like just be in God mode in a golf tournament. And then when it gets to close range, it's like, well, this is gonna be fun. Like it's gonna be fun. It's must see TV. Like I think that that is that is just incredibly fascinating. And uh I, and I have been a, a staunch defender of you. It's like I think he's freed up with it. I honestly think the loop is like what is is his way of, of hitting short putts, and it uh, like you said, it seems to be seems to be working. So I I, I love it. I'm way in. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I said, I I think it's I find it funny, and obviously I've had some people that have come to my defense over it, and I'm like, like yeah, I I know it ain't pretty, but you know if I'm gonna keep going, I'll keep doing what I'm doing. I kind of like just go. If you need something to complain about, I'm glad I'm giving you something to talk about. Well, it, does, so. it, it truly is a scorecard doesn't take pictures kind of thing, right? If it goes in, I wouldn't change a damn thing if I was you. That's for sure. So, yeah. what? Uh, so after you again, your close calls in the majors, and you know, you kind of talked a little bit about not being able to, not having the same level of success in PGA Tour events, but you find yourself back in contention in Memphis. You've of course had the close call at Torrey Pines last year, but you hit, you make the putt on on the 18th green, 72nd hole, and you let out a huge. What are they going to say now? And I, we, when that happened, we were kind of like, man, I think, I think everyone kind of likes Will. I mean, who's he, who's he yelling at here? Who's he, who's this directed at? I had a, I had a few people in mind, but I'm not going to share <laughs> who it was. But I just, I, like I said, actually, after I won, I can't believe I actually said that, let alone still having golf ahead of me. <laughs> but no, I mean, I think, I think I had been that close that many times, and I think it just started to really eat at me. I mean, I think I'd had four second places on tour three of them in majors i think and so i think i kind of felt like a little bit like finau did for a few years where it was like oh yeah he's really good you know mediocre with his putting maybe needs to get a little bit better like yeah he's just 
He's going to be one of those guys who's always around, you know, kind of like a six-man type thing. Like, I'd started getting kind of a little bit of that treatment from some people. And so, like, I, I think for me, you know, it had been a pretty wild two weeks, you know, hiring Joel. That was our first tournament together. And, you know, being that close that many times and then finally making the putt on 18. Like, I think the thing that I had really kind of prided myself on was, like, I hadn't really given a tournament away at that point but I also had made a lot of clutch putts throughout the year that, you know, like in match play, like I made three putts, I think on the 18th hole to keep matches going. There was two for sure. And then made one uh, against Victor to took us extra holes. So I think I birdied like four out of my last five holes, but like I had made, you know, made the putt on 18 at PGA. And so I think if anything, like it was, I had seen I had made a lot of putts that I thought really mattered to me, and then it was finally nice to do it on the 72nd hole in a regulation tournament, and then backing it up the way that I did. So I think, I think if anything, it was it was just starting to finally get to me a little bit, and I'd had like I said, hiring Joel and having you know kind of a long couple of weeks personally, you know, with switching caddies, you know, it was pretty cool for that week to do it. That was not a week, especially after being two over through my first nine holes, that I was expecting to be in the third playoff hole and thinking about, you know, if I'm making the turn at two over through nine holes on Thursday, if you told me that I was going to have an eight footer for bogey to win the playoff Sunday afternoon, I would have thought <laughs> you were on some drugs. <laughs> well, it wasn't, you know, it goes to, I mean, 15 under, I guess was the, was the winning score, but that's not, that's not low by PGA tour standards. Right. So that kind of yeah. goes to what you were saying about maybe struggling a little bit more with the birdie fest uh, to maintain that. Cause yeah, the two bogeys don't, that obviously did not signal the end of uh, of your week. That's got to be something to, to fall back on too. Now every time you go out and two over, you, you know you're not out of the golf tournament, right? It, it, you you've done it now. I've been a very notorious slow starter, and so like any of the tournaments that I've ever played well, and I've always played well on Thursday, and so I kind of laughed because I was two over through nine, and I looked at Joel, and Joel was just kind of like, he's like, hey, all right, bud, like let's regroup, and I'm like, dude, it's Thursday. Like for some reason, my Thursday. Thursday, there's not not a lot of giddy up in me for for some odd reason, and then so I think I ended up shooting like sixty three, sixty five, sixty six, and so like he he always gives me a hard time about that because like we have a game that we play too, where we'll have like a nine hole practice round bet where it's like okay you got to shoot three or four under, and like he laughs at me because I always have to birdie eighteen, and like ninety five percent of the time I'll do it, but he. But, like, even we were laughing at it. It's like, can't you just show up and birdie, like, the first four holes and we can cruise into 18? You know, like, you always – it could be a one-under bet, and you would still have to do one-under – you know, still have to birdie 18. Like, we need to start making our games at, like, seven-under so we can get a little better on these easy courses. What are what are your games like in Dallas? You mentioned kind of playing some money games while you're home, but uh, who do you who do you tee it up with, guys we know, or is it uh, mostly guys we don't know? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, a lot with – with Jordan, I mean, we. I'm at it. Uh, one of the places I play at is Dallas National, and so we've got a pretty good crew of guys out there. I mean, it's Jordan Spieth, Kelly Craft, uh, Sebastian Munoz, Scotty Scheffler, uh, Tony Romo, Carlos Ortiz. Bryson's kind of out there. Bryson doesn't really play golf. Tom Kim, a new member out there, I hear. Tom Kim, Tom Kim's a new member. I actually played for the first time with him on Sunday for nine holes, which I've spent a lot of time with him off the golf course. But God, he's so funny. He's such a good dude. What was your What was your endorsement like of uh, of Tom Kim joining? I heard a, a story about that. Well, so that that one kind of got taken a little out of context. <laughs> where basically I got asked, it just said like, "Hey, you know, 
what's he like? And I, I just said like, look, the guy's amazing. He needs to be here. And you know, he's, he's exactly the member that you would want at Dallas national. But the story that I tell is when I went to the president's cup and I was following along with guys on uh, the first matches I was walk, walking with Stricker watching cam because Stricker was responsible for cam. And I think he was with Colin and they were playing KH Lee and Tom and KH was on the tee on the par three. What is that? Like four, I think. And Tom doesn't even stand up on the box with KH. Like KH is up there with his caddy. Tom comes like 40 yards ahead of the tee box and comes, fi- comes and finds me and like comes and says like, Hey man, how's your back? How you doing? Like, I know he's a great guy, but I'm like, you're in the President's Cup. You do not need to talk to me. Like, this is, this is like way above and beyond, but that's just who he is. You know, he's just like, hey, man, how you doing? You're playing the President's Cup. Like, go focus. Like, don't talk to me. Like, I'm a fan. Do I need to, I'll go outside the ropes if I have to. But I mean, he's so funny. He's such a good dude. He's so happy go lucky. And, but yeah, I mean, like, probably some of my favorite knockout, knockdown dragouts have been with, kind of Scotty, Jordan, and Romo, just because all three of us just harass Romo so hard. And the three of us have grown up playing junior golf together since we were nine. And so, like, those are the games where, honestly, it's like golf is is completely irrelevant. Like, we could basically just be, you know, we could be playing a gin game between holes or something like that, and I would want to be just murdering them. <laughs> and so, like, those are the best days, you know, going out and playing and, you know, it's just some of the insane stories of, you know, like Jordan pulling out shots from left and right or Tony is the king of shooting like 74, but with like six birdies. And so it's like, if I give him six shots, I'm, I could get absolutely murdered. But, you know, those are the games that keep you fresh. I mean, that's, there's a lot of fun. I mean, you know, pretty much we can get any, we could get a fivesome with at least three or four pros pretty much every day in Dallas. So you you moved from California to Dallas. What, at what age was that? Was that when, at nine? You said you, you played with yeah. those guys since then. What was that like in terms of coming there and and being competing with these guys uh, at that age? What was that learning curve like for you? Yeah, you know it was funny because I I was actually I was born in San Francisco. My dad was a member at California Golf Club for about. 20 years and I was the only kid there. I mean, if you asked me when I was six or seven years old, who were my two heroes, I would say Aaron Oberholzer and Tiger Woods because Aaron grew up playing at Cal Club and he was the one PGA Tour pro that was at Cal Club at the time. And so it's like, yeah, I want to be him. And then, um, but so we moved to Texas. I had not played any competitive junior golf yet. And my first tournament I played, I think Jordan won. It was like a 12 to 13 year old one day event at Bear Creek. I think he shot like 81 or like, no, he shot like 74. Scotty shot like 81 and I shot like 96. And we were like, I think Scotty and I were nine years old. Jordan was like 11 or 12. And, you know, that was basically for the next five years, we played competitive golf against each other literally every week. Um, and so it made it really fun just because it's like, you know, Jordan shooting 63 as a 14 year old. And we snuck out to bent tree where I grew up playing and he wasn't old enough to drive a cart, but we still got him a cart anyways. And, you know, he shoots 29 on the front hitting like six greens. And I'm like, what is going on? Like you're 14, let alone shooting 29. Like you birdied every green that you hit. Like, this is absurd. So, you know, I made, I made it fun and, you know, Jordan was kind of the guy that Scotty and I followed and, um, you know, really, you know, Scotty 
had a hell of a amateur college career and, you know, we played on the same Walker cup team together and um, you know, it's been fun kind of chasing both of them really throughout my entire career. Cause it's definitely made me better. You know, Jordan set the standard Scotty, you know, won a U.S. junior, then I won a U.S. junior, and, and we're really lucky because we all grew up in the same system. And you look at the names that came out of the North Texas PGA, it's like, it's not just us. I mean, it's it's pretty wild. And, um, you know, we're, we're pretty fortunate, especially now with PGA Frisco going in. Yeah, that place is outrageous. Have you played it yet? No, I haven't. I, I need to go up there, but I, I it's so funny because every, like, everything that has a name to it, I know the person because they were – in the sections, like the Ronnie Glanton uh, short game area. Like I've known Ronnie since I was like nine years old and his son and I went to high school together. So it's really funny because it's like I know all of these people and they're, they're amazing people because they've done, like I said, they've done a bunch of stuff for Jordan, Scotty, and myself. Yeah, I'm excited to see how you guys react to that place because it's, it's, a, it's a different challenge. It's wide, but some small greens that are angled a little funny and it just is – I've. When you fly into Dallas Love Field, you fly right over it. And I've like looked at it and I'm like, that's Texas? Like, really? <laughs> it's going to be interesting when it all grows up around it. And uh, we got a chance to put there a few weeks ago. It's it's really good. I think it's kind of like what modern modern major championships are, are going to maybe look like more than just straight length and thick rough and all that stuff. So, so President's Cup, you were going to be a member of that team uh, by all accounts, and uh, the injury happened. You went to the, the President's Cup, but what was that experience like? What was it like being a part of that team room? It still kind of feels weird to me that you haven't been a part of uh, a playing part of any of the team competitions to this point. But you looked, if, I, if you're asking me, you look like a, a big future, a big part of that future. What was that uh, experience like being in that room with those guys? Yeah, it's super cool. Just because, you know, actually, Scotty and Jordan asked me if I wanted to go, and I said, guys, I'll be there in any capacity that, that you guys let me. Like, I, I don't care if I got to make sandwiches. I just expect a shitty sandwich, but I'm in. But, yeah, I mean, being able to see, I think, the in-depth that goes into a lot of the thought of, like, alternate shot. Like, hey, like, I played enough team competition that I know what's what you think you should do. But then also having stats guys, like, that was really interesting because I've never had a stats person for a team event before, like just seeing why they think this and, and having the guys go and pick their brains was, was super cool. But seeing also how like the vice captains were responsible for each kind of pod, if you will, of players, just in general, I mean, it was, it was literally, it was a well-oiled machine. And a lot of those guys around that team were new, but everyone fit in perfect and it was a really really cool atmosphere to be a part of for a couple of days you know the camaraderie in the team room of guys you know like I think it was JT and Jordan playing Sam and Scotty and ping pong and I mean it was violent and that's just but that's the part that that's stuff that is that's so cool to sit there and and be there for I mean but I think you know being able to watch you know like uh, JT picked Stricker's brain a little bit on some of the short game. Like these are guys that I think it's so cool that these are the top players in the world. And then you have these vice captains that have been some of the top players in the world for a very long time. And the respect for those guys, you know, asking them questions, Hey, how'd you do this? How'd you do that? I learned, it was amazing because I didn't have to touch a golf club. I didn't have to focus on the golf course. I literally just walked around and just soaked up as much as I possibly could have. And it was really just seeing the, 
you know, like Stricker teaching JT how to hit this one shot out of the rough. And it's like, well, JT's a two-time major champion. and He's one of the top players in the world. Like, I'm surprised he's going to ask him, but that's that's the same thing. Like, Stricker's one of the best of all time. You know, like, pick his brain. Zach Johnson, one of the best wedgers and putters of all time. Pick his brain. How do you, you know, how do you do your things? And so I think just me being there, I mean, it, it got my juices flowing. I was still probably a month away from, from even picking up a putter. Um, but just being able to go and experience it was amazing. Listening to Roy Williams give a kind of a pep talk before they go out, I mean – I was jacked. I, I felt it felt so weird just standing there on the first tee, and I'm like, yeah, I'm not supposed to do anything besides just stand here. What it, can you give us any example of any of the little lessons you're talking about, the shot out of the rough or anything like that? Any, any what? Because I'm interested what stuck with you several months later of like a little technique thing that somebody does. I, everyone was asking Stricker for uh, for for some sort of advice, and I actually was talking to Cam Young about this the other day. Cause he was asking me how, how he was knock like, Hey, how do you knock off spin with wedges? And I'm like, dude, Stricker was your partner at QBE. If I were you, I'd be blowing up his phone like every five seconds. I'm not the guy to ask, but I think the one that really uh, stuck with me was watching Steve hit this kind of like out of two, three inch Bermuda rough, half sitting up, half sitting down, trying to chase a ball across like a lot of green. And he would take a pitching wedge. He would, he would hood the club like big time. Have his hands high, and like if if JT or I try to hit the chip, like we would hit it maybe a foot in height off the ground, and it would pro- it would come out like a missile. And then Steve would do it, and it would somehow right up the face, go like four or five feet in the air, and it would have some air underneath it, and it wouldn't come out like a you know like Mach three. And I'm just sitting there and I'm like, how the hell do you do this? And I finally, you know, like Mike Thomas was taking videos just to like keep for his own sake. And I just sat there and I was so like, I just didn't want to be the guy where I'm like, hey, Steve, can you show me this again? Like, you know, holding up my phone at his face. But I'm just sitting there and I'm like, I, I tried it when I came home. And I'm like, I can't do that. Like, I, I don't wonder how he does that. And so um, that was one to me, like watching Steve hit some like literally pitching wedges from like two feet off the greens with maybe 45 feet of green in front of him as opposed to like taking a 60 and like having to hammer it or like put it up through the air and just every time like coming out four or five feet of height with no spin and it would just trundle out perfectly and i'm like god bless like this is worth the price of admission i saw strick hit one chip at a champions event this fall and it like changed the way i chipped i just just by watching i was like okay well i'm making this way too hard the, the way he moved his hands through the ball and how simple all of that was like i am way overcomplicating. i'm opening the, i'm doing all this other stuff and it just it was just like it was like watching picasso paint it was insane and it's and it's also his delivery too because it's just kind of that ah oh, shucks you yeah. know i just kind of oh, well. put the ball in the back of my stance and i just kind of plop it down on it and i'm like yeah i'm trying to do that it's not working <laughs> how uh on a completely different note the all the uh it seems like the conversation has kind of trended away towards live and more towards the future of the PGA tour and how things are changed, have changed already and are going to be changing in the future. How do you see your role in this? You know, you're a, you're still an up and coming player, but one of the top players in the game, you're, you know, in the meetings now with Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy talking about coming up with these, these new changes. How do you see your role in it all? This is my second year being on the player advisory council, which I think these changes that, to kind of back up for a second, I think the one thing that everyone needs to do when it comes to talking about live versus the PGA Tour or vice versa, what are the changes the tour needs, needs to make? I think the first thing is, is that people need to find the facts first. And 
that goes both ways. That you know, I think there's a lot of assumptions that guys have been making that are on live about the PJ tour that it's just kind of clickbait media stuff. And it's the same thing with the tour about live. Like, you know, some of the arguments that we made a year ago are no longer valid. And I think there's been a change in attitude, especially from a lot of the top guys where I think that we're more accepting of them at some point getting world ranking points, just given the fact of like, Hey, a world ranking system should be the best players in the world. And it's a hard, it's even hard for me to accept that because it's like, for me, my focus is the four majors. Like if there's anything that gives up my place in a major, like I won't do it. Like that's just dead set in stone. Um, I want to play where the best competition is. And I think going forward for us, we need to make sure that the pipeline of young guys that we don't lose that. And I think we're doing a good job with some of the changes of, you know, PJ tour U or, you know, what is it? Roughly the top five guys will get some starts on tour. You know, we're basically giving direct access as a where before it used to be informal. And when it comes to what we need to do going forward, it's a tricky line to kind of dance with because purses are going up, which is great. More money for everybody. Golf has been in a boom coming out of COVID. There's more people playing golf now than there have been in the last 10 years. I mean, that's just what's been proven to us. And I think the problem that I wrestle with a lot is that we need to do what's best for our top players, but we also need to do what's best for our partners. And at some point in time, where if we're going to start asking companies for $25 million a week, eventually they're going to go, hey, we need an ROI on this. And I think, every, you know, our guys have been doing an amazing job of, of, you know, our purses keep going up. Players are being more vocal about some of the changes. But I think it just took us a long time to finally get everyone in a room and just kind of air out our frustrations, if there are any frustrations, changes that we wanted to see changed um you know the one like i said you know like when you look at the changes between the of like what we've made with the elevated events like we kind of really haven't changed anything if you kind of think about it like we've kind of like wgcs are going away but wgcs used to have 15 20 international players like you can't tell me wgcs were good for the pga tour when that amount of players out of a 72-man field weren't even coming from your own membership So now if you replace those with elevated events where they're now having, you know, whether they are 70, I don't know. I don't think any of us really know quite yet. If it's 70, 50, 100, 120 guys plus a cut, I don't know. We we don't know yet. That's, you know, that's stuff that's going to be decided. I think the fact that you're now actually having these top events, which they've already been filled with PGA Tour players, but now having more and more of these events where you're going to see the top guys play together, like I, it's only good for us going forward. I just think that for us, we just need to make sure that the pipeline of young guys keeps coming up. And I see the argument of why people are saying, well, Hey, if you play an elevated schedule, it doesn't that kind of wreck the pipeline. And it's like, well, not exactly. I mean, this isn't like a strict 72 man top 72 players on tour. Like no event is like that on tour. So it might be 50 and then there's six or seven guys that come out of a reshuffle category and then another six or seven guys come out of this category. Then, you know, maybe some sponsors invites like that's an option, but there's nothing decided right now. And so I think where people get frustrated 
is that they get one thing stuck in their head, you know, when it comes to the tour and where it's going. And they think that's where it's going. Like, that's just how it's going to be, you know, Oh, they're just going towards the top guys. Like, no, I promise you, this is trying to make what's best, not only for our generation of players, but for the next generation going forward. And we're trying to figure it out. And so that's why I think when people come out and get frustrated I just try to tell them, like, go back and look at the facts. Like, if you have any questions, like if any players do, like go to a player advisory council member or go to your player relations people and find out. And if you don't like the answer, then we'll bring it up in a meeting. Like, this is this is still very open. This isn't just solely a top player-only conversation. To go back on the guys that were meeting in Delaware, yeah, look, I mean, you've got the top 20 players in the world and everyone wants one thing going forward. And if you get the top 20, you know, and that's obviously to make the tour better. And we're still trying to figure that out. Like there was stuff that we talked about in the room in Delaware that has, that's some stances have changed. Like this is just, you know, we're now having these conversations, whereas before we weren't having them. Um, so I think, you know, whenever I see some comments from guys who maybe aren't, as in the know, I think that's where I just kind of want to like sit down with them and just be like, okay, Hey, here's the facts. Here's some numbers or yada, yada, yada. And I don't have any problem with guys going to live. Like I have some friends that are playing over there right now. Like, Hey, it's like, it would be like me telling you how to raise your children. Like, it's not my business. Like they're your kids. No, it's your career. It's your life. But as a friend, like just make sure you have the right info is all I'm, is all I'm saying. Ooh, a lot there. A lot to unpack there. I think uh, it, it seems to me that the, there's not a lot of tour guys that have any problems with guys going to live. It's the double-dipping problem of trying to sue their way back into PGA Tour events that has not sat very well with a lot of people. Where do you sit on that? I don't really know. I think I honestly – I wouldn't want them to be able to double-dip because I, the reason why I say I don't know is because I understand some of their arguments, but at the same time, you know – the way how the tour works is, hey, to be a part of this tour, here's what we ask. And as being a member of this tour, we will set up the best retirement in all professional sports. You'll have your health care. You'll we'll provide services throughout the week. And basically, if you don't go by what our rules are, then you can't play. So as an independent contractor, I understand why some guys are frustrated, but it's like, Hey, you guys are with Titleist. Well, if you're with Titleist now, like you can't just go up and go to another company and say, Hey, even though we're actually doing Titleist and we're talking about the ball launch, we're actually going to talk about hybrids today from this other company. Like you can't do both. And so that's where I get, and, and no one's, that's, that's why to me, like I kind of wrestle with it because it's like, I think guys who have gone, like they, at some point, might get world ranking points. I think they will, but that's a very soft, uneducated guess. But it's also, you know, to the effect of some of the arguments that the guys have made going, I think have been more emotional than they've been factual. And again, they're getting paid a lot of money. Like, I get it. I'm okay with it. Like, there's guys who have gone and they've strictly gone for money and i got no problem with it whatsoever. I think it's just trying to get some of the guys to kind of not tell just their truth, just tell the truth in general. I don't think that they'll be able to play both. And I, I really hope they don't. I just, the, my whole point of why I'm kind of wish, wishy-washy on this answer is we'll see what happens in court. I really don't know. I'm going to leave that up to the experts. But, you know, if I'm going to spend 
25 weeks out of my year supporting the tour. And then you're also going to go over and play live and you're going to play how many times are they playing? You know, they've talked about wanting an off season. Well, now their off season's two months. I mean, they're playing February to November now, you know, whereas we're going to be going January to September, you know, we're going to have three months off solid. And I get it that they'll have one event, you know, one on a month off. Like there's just, there's just a lot of things to me that, that I, I just have to wrestle with, with, how they're going about their schedule, their system. And we'll just kind of see how it plays out. I just, where I'm a little worried is that if we change our world or if the world golf ranking system changes to allow them, like they won't be happy with what they get. Like they will always want more. And so that's why for me, I'm like, I understand your argument, but I have a hard time defending them just because i know that if they now get world ranking points and we have to change the system to allow them to get world ranking points and then they're going to say well we deserve more it's like well you know here comes back the the catchphrase from 2022 can't have your cake and eat it too where i've been very staunch of against them getting owgr points is and where i think this has just been under emphasized in the media in general is a lack of, uh, you know, understanding or uh, stressing how important the qualification aspect of this is. Like a closed system that you cannot qualify for over there. You end up with guys that have never made cuts in PGA Tour events, yet how are we supposed to evaluate what their talent level is? Like if Cam Smith goes out and beats, you know, Chase Kepka, like what does that mean? We don't know what that means because Chase Kepka didn't qualify for that tour, right? That's And that's where like – I have a hard unless you're talking about what you're saying about changing the OWGR system, like which I don't know what the again it's the majors and the tours the major tours decision on on whether or not they want to do that. The OWGR is not a all, an over governing body of you know of golf around the world. It's the majors and the tours qualification system for their events, right? So they're for, for so when the guys say like oh yeah it's lost its legitimacy, it's like no that's what they decided their qualification is going to be for their events. It's you guys that don't want to play in that sandbox and so i get i i, I lose my uh my cool when i just hear those guys whining about the owgr points yeah and i and like i said i do understand some of the arguments of what some of the top guys have said where it's like well look if cam smith goes out and wins nine live events and is going out and nuking the field like i can understand why if he's all of a sudden ranked 45th in the world because he hasn't met his owgr requirements i can understand how guys would be frustrated by that by that but at the same time, they're missing requirements for OWGR. And they knew that. They knew that when they left. <laughs> yeah, they knew that. They knew that when they left or when guys went. And I still laugh at some of the guys saying like, oh, well, you know, I'll see you, guys, I'll see you in Memphis, you know, before they left. And I'm like, all right. And, you know, a bunch of us were sitting in the room and watching the TRO hearing and listening to some of their arguments regarding, you know, why they should be there. And one of my favorite ones from the courtroom was actually, you know, we're here because these players have earned the right to play in the playoffs, but we're seeking financial damages for them not being able to be there. And then I think one of our lawyers said, haven't these players signed for more money than they've made in their entire careers? What financial damages are you seeking? You know, you knew this decision when you guys left. And so, and, it, and I'm not throwing a, you know, bashing them for saying that, like, that's their belief. They think that they can do both. And obviously right now there's, that's where the courts fights are. I mean, I, I don't mean to go, you know, deep into it and bash them for what they're doing. I kind of just want to give context and a background for where things are at. 
So this next hearing up in February, I think is going to be, well, I guess it is February, but this next hearing coming up in a couple of weeks is, will be a big one for DP, PGA Tour and Liv. And we'll just see where things go. I mean, like I said, I, I think in general, Liv has been amazing for us. It's gotten the top 20 some players and to sit together and talk about the tour and professional golf as a whole going forward, which has not happened probably since maybe happened. Yeah. It happened in the nineties when, when Greg was trying to do it again. Um, but you know, for us, like the guys want to be, who are staunch supporters of the PGA tour, like, look, we know this system isn't perfect. Will it ever be perfect? Probably not, but we're going to try our very best. And we'll just, like I said, just keep finding facts, keep trying to make things better. And this isn't about just us and putting dollars in our pocket. These are for, you know, we want our kids to play on the PGA Tour someday if they want to play golf. Yeah, and that's where uh, where I did that. Like, I, I can't – it's interesting to hear you guys all talk about it, but I, where I come from at it is, too, is as a golf fan, it can be very frustrating for, like, my golf fandom to be uh, kind of drilled down to, yeah, we'll see how it plays out in court. Like, I lose interest pretty darn quick, right? I, I like watching competitive golf, you know? If it, if it just becomes a squabble at the top, that's when it gets – you know, it's say I give this example too. Is like pick your I don't know who your favorite football team is. Probably the Cowboys. Like imagine if like Dak Prescott went to go play in like the Saudi football league. Like how would you take that? Would you be like, well, you got to understand, like you know, it's a great financial move for him, or would you be pretty upset? Like that's kind of where I am at least on this scale as a golf fan of like, look, I don't really like care about the individual decisions as much as like you guys need to get together and make an entertaining golf product. Which to your point. You guys have that has been a great benefit of this is I do think the PGA Tour is much better equipped to handle the future, starting with however things look next year than than it was before this thing had happened. That being said, I do think it would be fun if we did have some sort of like joint venture, which will probably never happen. (laughs) Consider considering that we have lawsuits going on around the world between each other. I don't think it's in the foreseeable future. But that being said, if you want entertainment value, I think that would be amazing. And I'd be I'd be game for it. Like, look, I don't. Like I said, I don't have any problem with any of the guys who've gone. It's like it's more of like, hey, if you want what's good for golf, like let's figure it out. But obviously, right now the way how the you know the rhetoric's going, we're couldn't be on polar opposite sides. All right. Well, this was an hour, and we greatly appreciate your time, Willis. I think we've uh, we've we've saved some stuff to do some more of these in the future because uh, this was this was highly entertaining hour of, uh, of of chatting with you. So thanks for your time. Best of luck with the uh, the continued comeback. And the last two guys, the last two players that have been on this podcast were John Rahm before Amex and Max Homa before uh, the Farmers. So uh, uh, as you go to Phoenix next week, just just keep that in mind. So hell yeah, I like your track record. <laughs> Perfect. So thanks again, Will. We'll chat soon. Thanks, dude. Be the right club. Be the right club today. Yeah. I mean, that's better than most. How about him? That is better than most. Better than most. Expect.